We want to learn more about how death is defied in the Bible because Jesus Christ is such a glorious Savior over it. Amen. And we, were, we finished by thinking just very briefly about the Lord Jesus Christ as he encountered his two friends, Mary and Martha, and their dead brother. He started out by saying, let's go to Bethany where Lazarus sleepeth. When he got there and met the two sisters, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Amen. Believest thou this? Amen. The whole issue of the whole day is, believest thou this? Right. Let's settle it now so I don't have to be asking you in a day coming. Let's settle it. We all believe this. Amen. This is where we're going, and Jesus Christ has defeated death for us, and we're all going to be together in heaven. We just sang it. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Amen. Then he said, roll the stone away. And that poor unbelieving sister, Lord, he hasn't had a shower in four days. He's been dead for four days. Right. He stinketh. <laughs> Roll the stone away. Amen. Did I not say to thee that I am the resurrection and the life? Now watch. Lazarus, come forth. And he that was bound came forth. Amen. And Jesus said, loose him and let him go. Right. The poor man's all wrapped up in that 100-foot-long bed sheet. Let him out of it. Lazarus? Come forth. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? That is an act of history. Jesus of Nazareth did that in this world. He said, roll the stone away. They rolled the stone away, and he called for his friend to come forth, and Lazarus came forth Amen. after being dead for four days. The Jews hated the miracle so much, they not only conspired to kill Jesus, they conspired to kill Lazarus, because they wanted to get rid of the evidence of such a great miracle. You can read about it in John chapter 11. And for those of you that read the chapter, you know that it's there. How about Luke 8? Let's go in our Bibles to Luke 8. I'm hoping that some of you read John 11, because I'm not turning you to it. But we, you could have read it last evening, and it's a great chapter. I just summarized it in three crucial points of how Jesus defied death all the way through that chapter. To, to call to a dead man. Is that the height of folly? To speak to a dead man that's been dead for four days? Call him by name? Do you think he can hear? When it's the life-giving voice of the Son of God he can hear, Amen. he's going to call every one of us out of the grave. Right. And, and the graves are going to obey, and we're going to obey. Every man will. Luke chapter 8, you know the story. Jairus is his name, and his daughter is dead. And the mourners are lamenting as the world always does when someone dies. And they're doing all their lamenting. We read in verse 49 that, that servants came to tell the ruler that thy daughter is dead, trouble not the master. Don't bother Jesus anymore because now this matter is out of his hands because your little daughter is dead. Do you understand what, you know what's about to take place. Is it out of his hands when death occurs? No. No. We are in his hands never to be taken out. And we're in the Father's hands, and no man can pluck them out of the Father's hands. Paul said, I am persuaded that neither 
What's the first thing he mentions? Death. Death can separate us from the love of God, Amen. which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Jesus said in verse 50, Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. That's what he's telling us today. Don't be afraid of death. Believe only. Believest thou this? Amen. Do you believe that Jesus Christ has totally destroyed death? Absolutely. And he mocks it in the Bible, and he defies it, and we can with him in sobriety, if we're living holy lives, we can mock it with him. He came to the house. He suffered no man to go in with him, save Peter and James and John and the father and the mother of the maiden. And all wept and bewailed her. John 8, 52, this is my favorite verse. But he said, weep not. What are all you mourners crying for? She is not dead, but sleepeth. Amen. Now that's just rude, unless you have faith. Jesus, at a, you're at a funeral home. You're in the home. You know, they didn't have a funeral home. You're at home having a funeral. And everybody's mourning, and he tells them, stop your, stop your bawling. She's not dead. She's sleeping. There's only one person that can say that. Didn't we read Ecclesiastes 8.8? There is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit. There is no man that can hold on to his life in the day of death. There is no discharge in that war. But Jesus can say, she's just sleeping. Amen. And they laughed him to scorn and let the world laugh our little religion to scorn. As we meet in this little conference room, let them laugh. There's a day coming when the last laugh will come from the creator Jehovah. As he laughs at them for never giving him any regard their entire lives in spite of the fact that they saw all that came before them die. That was Psalm 49. Man that is in honor and understandeth not is like the beasts that perish. This is their folly in that they keep quoting their post they, they keep quoting and looking at their ancestors even though they all die. What folly. And so they laughed him to scorn and we're going to be laughed to scorn. But who has the last laugh here? Right. They laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. Have they taken her pulse? There wasn't one. Was she dead? From their vantage point, she was dead. From his, she was sleeping. Verse 53, verse 54, and he put them all out and took her by the hand and called, saying. Now, why would you talk to a dead girl? Maid, arise. Oh, brethren. Get excited with me. Amen. Don't go to sleep. Time's accounting. We just want to spend a few minutes that there is one man that walked this earth and he laid down his life for us. And by laying down his life, he gained from God the power of giving life to all those that he chooses to give it to by the grace of God. And this little maid is raised from the dead by the power of his voice. Right. He says in 854, maid, arise. And her spirit came again. She didn't have power to retain her spirit. It had left. But Jesus was able to call that spirit back into that little girl. And she arose straightway. Now, how long does that take? When you arise straightway, how many weeks was her recovery? How long was her rehabilitation? Instantaneous. And he commanded to give her meat. Poor girl's hungry. Give her something to eat. This is our Savior. And her parents were astonished. 
but he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. Listen, you know how many of these there are in the Bible. We're looking at a few to see the defiance that Jesus Christ has of death. He defies it. She's not dead, she sleeps to a bunch of bawling mourners. In a sense, that's very rude. But he didn't care because he knew that he was going to raise her from the dead. How about Luke chapter 7? Luke chapter 7. Now, I like Made Her Eyes, but I like this showstopper even better. And this is a showstopper in that it's a funeral stopper. Luke chapter 7, verse 11, it came to pass the day after that he, this is history, that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and much people. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. This is a huge funeral procession, and Jesus meets this funeral procession, and he's about to stop a parade. He's about to stop this procession. This is our Lord. She's a widow. What does that mean? Her husband died. This is her only son, and now he's dead. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the buyer. And they that bear him stood still. They're bearing a funeral buyer for your minds. They're carrying the coffin. Jesus comes up and touches the coffin. And they all stop and stand still. And they that bear him stood still. And he said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And he delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen up among us, and that God hath visited his people. And this rumor of him, rumor, this fact about him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. This is history, brethren. He stopped a funeral in the midst of the funeral, and the men that were carrying the pallbearers stood still, and Jesus said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. He sat up and started talking. Hello, folks. You're all here to see me. And I'm alive. Because Jesus Christ gave him death, and I'm not trying to be funny one bit, except to glorify God for what he did through his son, Jesus Christ, who had the power of life and death. And this is history to give us comfort and hope that Jesus Christ has power beyond the grave. Amen. Beyond the casket. When you look in there and you see someone that you love, that you know love the Lord, that's their old tabernacle. Be thankful that they're going and in their new one. That's right. They're gone, and they're in his hand, and he will not lose a single one of them. Not a chance. His whole character, name, position, profession depends upon not losing one. Losing one is the same as losing all, because we are all his body. He will not lose a single one. Oh, there's so many examples that we could go to in the Bible. The Jews hated Jesus for saying that he could give life unto the world. They said, Abraham's dead. 
and he trusted God, how do you think you're going to give life to anybody? They didn't even know where Abraham was. Half the Jewish nation were Sadducees that denied there was a spirit or a resurrection. They didn't even know that Abraham was in heaven at that very time with God. And he was still their God. They, that half the nation didn't even believe that. The Pharisees believed there was a resurrection, but they did not understand what Jesus meant. Look at Luke chapter 23. Jesus defying death. I'll tell you about a man who was thankful for Jesus defying death, and it's the thief on the cross. Amen. Now do you, if you've been up all night, and you weren't just sitting in an office chair working on a project, you were being scourged to death and being hustled back and forth from the Jewish leadership to Pilate to Herod back to Pilate all night long being harassed and beaten and punched in the face and scourged with whips all night long after you had spent the first half of the evening in prayer wrestling with the Lord so much that it's described as sweating as it were great drops of blood that's how you spent your night. Now it's the middle of the afternoon, the next day, and you are hanging on a cross. Your back is wide open from having been scourged with a Roman scourge. You have nails through four precious parts of your body, and you're heaving there on that cross, trying to get a little bit of air into you. Ah, is he weak? He's weak. But how much power does he still have? Amen. The man next to him says, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Right. Do you know what my Savior can say? You ever think he's too weak for you? Was he too weak for that man? No. That man asked, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. That man knew he was going to die that day and he needed someone that had power over death. And in that torn up moment of, how do I describe the weakness and the tiredness and the frailty of the Lord Jesus Christ at that moment? He said, today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Amen. You know what the thief said? It's not written. I'm going to tell you. Get ready for a secret. Oh, death! Where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Because Jesus had just promised him today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. I don't know who's going to be first. It could be any of us. We live dangerous lives. It's going to be one of us. We're going to go first. Are we all ready for it? One of us is going to go second. Are we all ready for it? Can we be like the thief? You know, that's not a very long prayer. You know, if you hadn't lived a very religious life and you were afraid of dying, you'd think you'd want to pray for an hour or two, maybe a couple of days. How long does it, say, how long does it take to say, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom? It doesn't take very long because the Lord isn't looking for length. Do you know what he's looking for? A broken and a contrite heart. Right. I need you to remember me because that's what's going to count. That's all he said today. Thou shalt be with me in paradise. Don't worry about what they're doing to you. And don't worry about when your soul leaves your body and flies out into space. You'll be with me in paradise. Now, is that defying death? When you're hanging there, barely alive yourself, 
and you're able to say today thou shalt be with me in paradise that is defying death mm -hmm. death declared death defied and our Lord Jesus did a wonderful job of it and I love him for it and I hope you do you know what he said a little while later I am alive forevermore amen Revelation 118. Amen. Three days later, three days and three nights later, Mary Magdalene saw him. Right. They touched him. She hugged him. She grabbed him. He said, okay, okay, okay. Enough of this. Go tell my brothers. Go tell my brethren that I'm alive. And he appeared at that service that day in, in a closed room. And he appeared the next Lord's Day. And he appeared the next Lord's Day. You can read about it in the last two chapters of John. And then he sent his spirit on a Lord's Day following that on the day of Pentecost. Mm -hmm. What a wonderful Savior. And he needed to commission some apostles. And what were those apostles going to do? Look at Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. What was a fundamental message of the apostles? Resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. So to be an apostle, now we've got, we've got one in this city. We've got an apostle living way down here in Greenville, South Carolina, and an apostle-less. We do. Ron Carpenter and his wife, Hope Carpenter, at some kind of a church called the World Outreach Redemption Center. We've got an apostle here, but he's got a problem. He doesn't meet the job qualifications because the job qualifications are given right here. Acts chapter 1 and verse 22, Peter is laying out the qualifications to be an apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's get 21 so that you know that I'm not violating the context. Well, you know, in verse 20, he says we need to replace the office of bishop that Judas lost. And he says in 21, wherefore, here's how we're going to do it, of these men which have companied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. Now, do you understand a job qualification for being an apostle? You had to be a witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and to have had spent your whole life with Jesus. From the baptism of John all the way to the end. You say, Paul didn't do that. How was Paul a witness of his resurrection? Did Paul ever see Jesus resurrected? Yes, yes he did. And last of all, he appeared unto me as one born out of due time. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, yes, he did. Paul was a witness that he was alive. And what happened to him on the road to Damascus anyway? He knew, that he, he knew who he had seen, didn't he? Yes, did he? he did. I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest, was the answer when he said, Lord, who art thou? Look at, hear what the apostle, I want you to notice that Jesus sent out a band of men into the world saying, he is risen. One of their favorite songs was number 524 that we sang this afternoon. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. Do you believe all that? Yeah. Amen. Because they worshiped a risen Savior. Because religion is for the purpose of dealing with that horrible subject of death. And what causes death? Sin. And what did Jesus do? He destroyed the root cause of death by destroying sin and putting, away by the, putting it away by the sacrifice of himself for us. What, so what do you think Peter started preaching? What do you think his first sermon's about? 
You want to take a wild guess? It's about the resurrection of the dead. Amen. If we go into Acts chapter 2, and those men are wondering, why is everybody speaking in tongues and what does it all mean? What does Peter preach about? He goes to Psalm 16 and says David was a prophet, and David said that God would raise his son, our Messiah, from the dead so that he would not suffer corruption. And he says, now listen, we've got David's sepulcher with us to this day. We still know where David's buried. David wrote Psalm 16. We know he's a prophet. David couldn't have been talking about himself. I'm summarizing this, Acts 2. He must have been talking about the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now let me tell you something. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having shed forth the gift of the Holy Ghost, and he goes on to describe the Lord Jesus Christ, and he gets to the end and they say, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. It was a message about the resurrection. Right. Acts chapter 2. How about Acts chapter 4? Acts chapter 4. Remember that prayer meeting they had in the church at Jerusalem? When they prayed and the whole place was shaken? That powerful prayer meeting they had? What did they go out and do with that power that shook the meeting room where they were? This is, this is history. This is history. Marco Polo? I don't know if that's the name of a shirt or a discoverer. And I don't really care. Who cares about Marco Polo? This is history that changed the world. Their enemies said that it changed the world. What did the enemies say? These are the men that have turned the world upside down. Who had ever been able to preach a message that a man rose from the dead and was able to raise others from the dead? Acts chapter 4, verse 33. They finished praying. The place was shaken in verse 31. And look at verse 33. When men are filled with the Holy Ghost, what are they preaching? And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. You know, these, were, these apostles were dumb fishermen. When I say dumb, that means ignorant. They did not know how to speak well. They were not trained well. They were fishermen. They could listen to a couple of sentences out of Peter's mouth and know the guy had not gone to school. But it didn't matter because when he had just raised your dead relatives and healed your sick ones, you, you tended to believe what he had to say. And do you know what he had to say? Jesus of Nazareth is risen from the dead. And we've seen him, we've eaten with him, and we've touched him. We've put our fingers in the holes in his hands and our hand into his side. And he's alive forevermore and he's coming back to judge the world. Amen. Now do you want to believe on him or not? And he's commanding all men everywhere to repent. It was the message of the resurrection that they carried far and wide. Look at Acts chapter 7. We have a brother in Acts chapter 7. Do you know his name? <coughs> Stephen. He's our brother. Do you know Stephen is in heaven right now? Was he afraid to die? Sort of. A little bit. No. He wasn't afraid to die. What did he have before his eyes? A vision of the Lord Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of God. Amen. Verse 59, and they stoned Stephen calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, I'm afraid to die. Do you know there are lots of people that go out of this world saying, Jesus, I'm afraid to die. They're using his name as a curse word and they're afraid to die. Do I need to get some recordings for you? 
A lot of people go out of the world that way. This man said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. You know, we're still under the point, death defied. Is that pretty serious? When you've got a man, ever heard the sound of a 20-pound boulder hitting a man's body? Can you imagine it? Can you imagine that, that man's bones breaking like potato chips in a bowl when you push your hand down on it hard? They're throwing rocks at this man and busting his body up. And do you want to hear them? Lord, it hurts. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. That is defying death. And do you know how many martyrs followed that man? Thousands, millions followed Stephen and died the very same way. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he received their spirits. We have a religion that not only gives a little bit of hope and not only gives a whole lot of hope, it defies death. Amen. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice. Now how's this for defiance? Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. He was so happy and feeling so good and so full of hope and faith on what was about to happen to him and what was happening to him at that very moment. He said, it doesn't matter what they're doing to me, Lord. Go ahead and forgive them. Right. And when he had said this, and this is the testimony for every martyr, and they're all waiting for us to join them so that heaven can all be wrapped up and they can have the marriage supper of the Lamb because they can see all the servants bustling around preparing the table for that banquet. We're not there yet, and they can't have it till we get there. They fell asleep, and they've been sleeping, their bodies, because their souls are in heaven waiting for the day for, all, for us all to be there with them. And I am telling you God's truth. It is my job to tell you God's truth. Right. Your mother's there. Your father's there. But there's martyrs there, my sisters. And everyone else of you in here, there's martyrs there that laid down their lives consciously and made prayers like this. Jesus has the power over death. And they were able to die confidently. You know what the Bible says? It says in Revelation 12, 11, and they overcame him, but the devil, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death, unto death. They loved not their lives unto death. They had that much confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Do we have it? All he's asking from us is a living sacrifice. Right. He will slowly, all other things being equal, he will slowly extract from us mercifully that desire to survive. He will take away our strength until there's a day where we're laying in our bed and we will be ready to die. That is far different from a martyr. Do you understand me? Those martyrs laid down their lives because they had that kind of confidence in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus had told them this, be not afraid of them that kill the body. For that is all that they can do. That's right. And so they didn't fear them. And though their bodies were being broken apart or devoured by wild animals or being burned at the stake, or all the other horrible means that were used to pull their bodies apart and to burn them in oil and to suffocate them and to drown them in bags 
to rip their bellies open and fill it with corn and let loose wild pigs to snout and eat, to, to eat their insides out while they were still alive. They knew that Jesus had the power over death and they were not afraid. Right. The next time you're in a restaurant and you're afraid to bow your head and make a scene that you're going to thank God for your food, remember the food put into a belly before pigs are cut loose on it. We are disgusting if we are ever afraid of the name of our Lord Jesus Christ or giving thanks to God. Those are the martyrs, and they're, under, they're in a pretty safe place. They're under the altar of my blessed God and your blessed God, and they are safe there. Amen. But they're asking for a favor. Lord, hurry up so that we can see the vengeance on our enemies. Right. But do you know what he's saying? You've got to wait. Your brethren still have to get here. You know what he's talking about? Us. It's pretty good. Amen. It's pretty good. That's, what, that's defying death. When men can die like that. Could Peter raise the dead? Mm -hmm. Did he? What was her name? Dorcas. Dorcas. When Paul got pulled up to Mars Hill and stood in front of all the philosophers of the Greek educational empire, what did he preach about? Resurrection. The resurrection from the dead. What was he there for? Because he'd opened his mouth in the marketplace about the resurrection from the dead. And they said, you're bringing strange things to our ears. You know, that was a city given over to hearing new things. And they said, you're bringing strange things to our ears because you're talking about a resurrection. Do you know what that means? All the philosophies of the world have no hope beyond this life. Right. Do you understand that? So they wanted to hear about this new religion. And he got up there and told them, I want to tell you about Jesus of Nazareth, who has been raised from the dead. That resurrection from the dead is this assurance. He's coming to judge you. Go read it, Acts chapter 17. Right. Because God hath appointed a day in the which he will judge this world by that one man. Amen. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, all based on his resurrection. And that message went far and wide, and those apostles preached it everywhere. When a, man, when a person is baptized, guess what they're saying? I believe in the resurrection of the dead. Right. I believe that Jesus has power over death. Go ahead and bury me symbolically and raise me symbolically because when I'm buried literally, I'm going to be raised literally. That's what baptism is. Right. It's our great act of defiance. And no other church has, other than a Baptist church, they don't have it. Right. They sprinkle a little water. But the Bible tells us we're baptized into Christ's death, that we can be also raised together in his likeness. Mm -hmm. It's a figure of the resurrection. It's, right. a, it's defying death to be buried the Baptist way. The Bible way. How about you want some more defying of death? Did you know they stoned Paul once? Yep. They went over and looked down, and all it was was a bloody mess. Yep. Bones sticking out everywhere, dead. Pulled his eyelids back, his eyeballs were rolled up in his head, checked his pulse, he was gone, they went back into the city. All the brethren are standing around this poor little heap on the ground, standing around, what, <laughs> what's happened? This is, this is the Apostle Paul, the mighty Apostle of the Gentiles. What happens? He stands up and says, what are you guys all standing around here for? Let's go back into town. I want a Big Mac. That is my Savior. Amen. He had to suffer a few things. Do you know why? Because he had caused other people to suffer during his life. 
and Jesus said he's going to suffer many things for my sake. But the Lord raised him from the dead. Do you know what he said later in life? He said, I don't know whether I was in the body or not. This is 2 Corinthians. I'm talking about defying death. Right. How do you write a letter like this? Dear, dear friends, I don't know whether I was in the body or not, but I knew a man once in Christ. I don't know whether I was in the body, he was in the body, or where, but I went to heaven. And I saw things that I can't tell you about. And to keep me humble, the Lord's given me a thorn in the flesh. Now that's defying death. I've already gone past it and I'm back. You say, well, I, I, I've heard in the paper that there are other people like that. Uh-huh. They're hallucinating from their, all their anesthesia. And they see the great bright light of Satan at the end of some tunnel. And they get a warm, fuzzy feeling around them, and they see a snake coming out of the east and wrapping itself around them. That's Gene Dixon's story, I, prom I, I promise right. you. I saw a snake coming out of the east, coming through my window, and it wrapped its warmth around me. Now, you want to read a book like that? Do you want to read about after-death experiences? I'll tell you about one I just did. It's the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Right. I went to heaven and saw things that were so good I can't tell you about them. The defiance of death throughout the Bible. Look at Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Is this, is this what you believe, Philippians 1? Amen. Look at verse 21. In fact, I need help reading it. So I'm going to come over here. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Mm -hmm. It's right here on the front of the pulpit. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. How can you write that? That's defying death. Death is gain? This whole world, it's a total loss. Because you can't even take out what you're wearing. You can't even take the gold in your teeth let alone the gold in your pocket, let alone the gold in your Swiss bank account. You leave it all here. They go around and pick it off. You know, you have an option. Do you want to put that in the casket or do you want it in a little plastic baggie to put on the mantle? They can't take a thing with them, and yet listen to this man write. Philippians 1.21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not, for I am in a strait. My biggest dilemma in life is my battle with wanting to die. Do you understand what this man is saying here in verse 23? My biggest dilemma in life is my desire to die, for I am in a strait. Remember a strait jacket, what the word strait means? I am in a tough pickle. I'm in a difficult decision. How do I choose between life and death? Betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is how much better? Far, Far better. <coughs> Believest thou this? Yes. Believest thou this? Amen. How much faith does it take? It takes the same faith to believe that there was a creation, right. that there was ever a Jesus of Nazareth on this earth. It is far better to depart and to be with Christ. This is the message of the gospel. Believe it. It is far better to depart this life and to be with Christ. And Paul said that. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. If I were to leave, though, you're, you're going to suffer, you Philippians, and so God's going to leave me here for a while to take care of you, but it would be far better if I could depart. That is what we need to believe. And if we, if we talk to one another enough, 
if we read the Bible, if we pray, if we humble ourselves before the Lord, He will give us an increase in faith, and He will give us a measure of grace to where we can fully believe that. If you don't fully believe that today, then the practical application of this message is you're not giving enough time to your spiritual exercises to be walking with God like Enoch and Paul. But look at the defiance. It's far better to die than to be alive. Do you want to take a survey right now in downtown? You want to go to Haywood Mall and ask a few people? Is it far better to die than to be alive? What do you think? You know, this is a questionnaire. We're taking a survey. Do you want to live or die right now? Our religion defies death. Death defied. I'm having too much pleasure. I'm, my, our time is a, is, is a wasting and, and dying, and, and there's not going to be a revival of it. Because time, once it's gone, is gone. We've got to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, because we want to see Paul's confidence that was his defiant attitude about death. And we want it. We want that attitude. We want that faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You know how it starts out. Some of you would have read it last night. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, if this body were to be eaten by worms in the grave, that's what it means. I'm giving you the sense. We have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. God has another thing in heaven to clothe and house our souls. Okay, well I, we, we could go through this verse by verse and phrase by phrase, but I want to come right down to verse 6. Therefore, after talking a little bit about his heavenly body, he says in verse 6, Therefore, we are always confident. You had to hear it twice. Therefore, we are always confident knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Right. We are always confident that if I'm alive and in this body, I am not with the Lord like I could be. To get with the Lord like I want to be, I've got to leave this body. But notice his words. Once in a while I'm confident. <clears throat> That's more like you and me, isn't it? <laughs> you know what I want for you and for me? This right here, always confident. Always confident means we're walking with God the way we should be. Always confident that, we could do, that to be absent from the body would be to be present with the Lord. You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those times where you're thinking, to be absent from the body, I don't know that I'd be with the Lord. That's because you've let sin come in and quench the power of the Holy Spirit to assure your hearts. Mm -hmm. This man was confident. And what was he confident by? Sight? No, you can't, I can't show you a thing. No visual aids this week about this subject. None at all. For we, walk not, for we walk by faith, not by sight. It is entirely a matter of God promised it. I believe it. And that gives me my confidence. That settles it. It's a matter of faith. Verse 8, we are confident. I say, look at the words. 2 Corinthians 5, 8. We are confident, I say, and willing, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Is that a defiant attitude? I am confident and I am willing, rather, I would rather be dead than alive. That's what Paul said. And that is, the, that is what we want to have. Verse 9 says, Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. I dedicate my whole life 
to winning his acceptance of me. Not, I've made a decision to accept Christ, therefore I know I'm going to go to heaven when I die, but I live my whole life that I might be accepted of him. And that is how we ought to live. This whole subject of this day ought to fill us with hope, but it also ought to drive us to serve him with our lives so that we know he will accept us in that great day or at the day of our death. And on and on we could go what, what glorious messages we have in the Bible about the confidence that the apostles had of a resurrection. Look at their defiant attitude about death. Death destroyed. You know, just when the devil and all the powers of hell thought they had Jesus Christ under the power of death, they were counting down the seconds, watching his breathing, checking his breathing, his pulse rate, seeing it get higher and higher because he couldn't get enough air in. Heart couldn't pump enough. He couldn't get enough air. He was just getting weaker and weaker there on the cross. They thought they had him. But then they heard some horrible words there at the end. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he gave up the ghost. Yep. Faith. Our Lord Jesus Christ faced that black curtain that was coming over him. And he did it with total faith in God. And that is how we all want to go. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And the God who had forsaken him the God that earlier he had said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he gave up the fight of survival there on the cross and laid down his life and his soul went to paradise. And his body was put in the tomb. And his soul came again 72 hours later back into that body. And I have preached about that the resurrection and the ascension of our blessed Lord. Yeah. But notice how he died, totally by faith. God had forsaken him. But do you know when God would restore fellowship to him? The instant of death. Because at the instant of death, what had been paid for? All the sins that were separating him from his father. Do you understand? Yep. But at that moment, he had to die a death of faith that he would be delivered as soon as he passed through that curtain and he did it for you and me. Can we do it? Can we follow him? He's the first fruits of them that slept. We're going to follow right behind. We're going to be in the same bushel. We're going to be a fruit with him in heaven. He's the first one there, the first begotten of the dead, and we're going to follow right along behind him because God's going to raise us up as well. I want to remind you that all you history buffs, and you all ought to be history buffs this morning, that when Jesus rose from the dead, those graves that had been opened when he was hanging on the cross because of the great earthquake that tore the rocks, mm -hmm. many of them that slept, many saints got up out of those cemeteries and came into town. Doesn't tell us any more about it. Do you know what? I only need one verse. I only need one verse that tells me many saints arose and came into town after his resurrection. Can you imagine having uncles grandparents, all right, knocking at the door and you open it. How do I even describe it? That's the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he rose from the dead, the power was so great that it was raising other people from the dead. 
Do you know the Bible talks about the power that would be present with the Lord Jesus Christ? If you could get up and just touch the hem of his garment, just work through the crowd and stick your arm between two people and touch his garment, you could be healed. There was that much power. And he raised men from the dead by his own resurrection, and they came into the city of Jerusalem. The Bible tells us that. Amen. Death has been destroyed. The devil had a claim against us. That claim was sin, because the devil got our first parents to sin. Only in that way does the devil ha has the devil ever had any power over us. He got our first parents to sin. And he knew that God always kept his word. Right. Because God had kept his word, the soul that sinneth it shall die. He knew that he had us. But Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. How did he do it? He destroyed sin. So there was no longer any claim against us. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Now the devil's thrown into heaven. He can't even accuse us before God because there's nothing to lay to our charge. Jesus paid for it all. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. You say, why do I still have to die? Because you have a sinful carcass. Right. But you're not going to really die. It's just going to sleep for a while until he changes it all together. Amen. It's the moment, the moment that that body stops breathing and your soul and spirit leave it to go to be with the Lord. You're going to be with the Lord. You're going to be more alive than you've ever been. Please, please understand that you'll be more alive than you've ever been. It's not really death. Your body's just going to sleep for a while. Paul didn't say, I am now ready to die. Paul said, I am now ready to depart. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, I'm not trying to be funny. Right. He said, I am now ready to depart. Do you know what death was to him? Just going from one place to another. I'm going to leave this place, take a fast chariot ride, and be in heaven. Peter Amen. said the same thing, 2 Peter chapter 1. All the apostles understood it that way. Now it helped. They did have a visual aid. Do you know what the visual aid was? Watching Jesus do that. That was a visual aid. That was very helpful. But you know what? They saw it, and they wrote about it. I believe it. Amen. We've got the visual aids. Jesus went straight into the presence of God. And I don't care if you're in a hospital room and you're on the third floor and there's 18 stories. Your spirit's going to go right through them all so fast. Listen, it's immaterial. Jesus could appear in a room with locked doors. Right. That spirit's just going to leave and be in the presence of God. Sometimes you can almost see it, feel it, sense it leaving. As a person takes their last breath, and the spirit just walks out of the body, gets into a chariot, and takes off. That is where we're going. Amen. You call that death? You'll be living more than you've ever lived before. Your body gets to sleep. It doesn't have to get up and go to work the next day. It just lays there and stretches out. They usually stretch them out. They don't bury you cramped, unless you're too big. And you just lay there and sleep, and the Bible describes it as the sleep, of, the sleep and rest of death, and that body will be called out one of these days. Right. Death has been destroyed. You are going to get rid of this carcass that has sin in it. Your, your soul and spirit are going to be delivered in the presence of God, right. and then this body will be called out and redeemed someday soon, when he calls all the bodies out, and you'll be given a glorified body that you'll live in for all of eternity. Amen. Believest thou this? Amen. There's a huge crowd waiting for us, brethren. Right. Believest thou this? Amen. 
you know, I've liked, I've, I have enjoyed saying to you recently, or you're, you're not always going to be a member of a small church. You want to talk about a mega church? And I'm not talking about 5,000 members. I'm talking about what Balaam said, who can number the dust of Jacob? Right. Who can count a fourth of Israel? Over there in Numbers 23.10. That's where we're going. You get to escape the flesh, all the things that tempt us to sin. You get out of your sin-cursed body and all the problems that come with age. You get to be in heaven with Jesus, who should be the grandest person in your life. Right. You get to leave all the problems, vanity, and vexation of, this, of the spirit that's of this world. You get to leave it all far behind. Okay. You get to go to paradise, which, seeds all, which exceeds all the things on earth, more than can be told. There's a tree of life blooming there, and you will get to eat of it, and you will live forever. This is the message of the gospel. God arranged the entire drama. He knew that our first parents would fall in the Garden of Eden. He arranged the whole thing. He brought death into the world to show a deliverance from it by his power. And what all men cannot deal with, have not been able to solve, and cannot make any advances against death, he has totally destroyed. Right. And we have the hope of everlasting life. There is no more death in that place. There is no more death in that place. Men have been willing to do anything or to pay almost any price to postpone death. Are you willing to pay a little price of following Jesus Christ because he's conquered death for you? If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men most miserable. We must get our attention on what's coming. Our labor is not in vain right. in the Lord if we look beyond this life. Amen. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, because here's what he said. He that heareth my words and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Amen. Believest thou this? Do you believe it all? Amen. Jesus Christ is a wonderful Savior, and right. he has saved us from death. May Jesus Christ be praised.